0: Coming up on your transformation station. Are you familiar with the, the copyright aspects of hyperlinking and framing?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay, so linking the copyrighted material, how how do the courts address two different like web technologies with felicitating somebody's copyrighted content?
2: Yeah, I mean that that that's a, it's a, it's a simple question. It's not a simple answer because there's a lot of intricacies to it.
1: Welcome to your transformation station this is Your transformation station. We're tapping in into surpassing expectations from the most successful people in the modern day and honing in on new foresight, methodologies and clairvoyance you never knew. This is your transformation station with your host Greg Favaza.
0: Have to have a definition of success if i could go back there's not many things that i would
1: go back for but
0: what do you do when you lose your purpose it's okay to struggle it's okay that you're not okay i am your host greg favaza together we will go on a journey this show is all about surpassing our internal dialogue rediscovering your true identity honing new foresight
1: have a chance to make the world a better place for our children
0: start living in the example today and become your future self tomorrow if you can leave our viewers with some good advice to follow what would you let them know these things that you're afraid to do go do them Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to your transformation station with your one and only, of course, Greg Favaza. Suppose you're someone aspiring to learn how to connect to the world. How can you create a transformation in others if there's no transformation in yourself? This question is often what I think about. Your transformation station focuses on 30 day challenges, three hour refinement, connecting clarity, the idyllic life, interviews, investing your time. This is your transformation on how to decode ourselves through the realization of others. A transformative experience and establish our own transformation now. Let's get into this.
1: We're tapping in to surpassing expectations from the most successful people in the modern day and honing in on new foresight, methodologies, and clairvoyance you never knew. This is your Transformation Station with your host, Greg Favaza.
0: Devin, uh, welcome to your Transformation Station. I appreciate you.
2: Thanks for having me or thanks for uh, having me on.
0: I appreciate you uh, reaching out. Uh I looked through your profile. You have an interesting uh you have an interesting background that our listeners can benefit. Um just from business folks to anybody that is seeking a change in their career towards the entrepreneur side. Um you focus on small businesses and startups and that's from your company called Miller IP Law. Is that correct?
2: Yep.
0: Can can you give us a a little snapshot of how you started and why you started up your law firm?
2: So both are short questions. Short questions seem to give the longest answers. But, um, you know, as far as kind of how I started, I mean, that one's longer, um, but to kind of give the shorter version. So, I am getting four degrees, which is pretty. Or my wife always jokes, "Is three degrees too many?" But I got um, electrical engineering degree. I got a Chinese or Mandarin Chinese degree, a MBA, as well as a law degree. Um, so with that, I was always kind of from undergraduate. I got to. I had liked engineering, like understanding how things worked and working on things. But I didn't. I came to the end and decided I didn't want to be an engineer in the sense that I didn't want to be on a project for multiple years, being a very small cog in a big wheel. And, you know, working your way up for 20 years before you really have any impact on the business. So that wasn't as appealing to me. So with that, I kind of was looking to see how I could incorporate my enjoyment of engineering with a career path. And I kind of had two different things that I love and enjoyed. One was more on the business and the entrepreneurial side and, and kind of chasing down that side. And I also find the, the legal side more interesting, more in particularly with patents and trademarks. And uh, be able to help business, you know, businesses as they to protect and grow what they're, they're working on. And so kind of making those decisions, and rather than decide one or the other, I ended up doing both. So that's where I got the law degree as well as the MBA degree, kind of understand the business side as well as the, the legal side. And then I've been kind of chasing those paths ever since. So I've done started first business while I was doing MBA school and law school and um, Started a business competition. That one's still going and is now uh, either eight or nine figure business. I'd have to add it up um, as well as um, I was always kind of doing that. I always say a side hustle, but I always look at a side hustle as really a second or a second full time job. But I was doing that along alongside of chasing my legal career. So I've been doing I've been a, a patent and trademark attorney for about nine years and six years. I worked at some of the largest law firms, some in California and Palo Alto and others that were 100 law firms work with some of the bigger clients, the Amazons, the Intels, the Red Hats, the Fords and others. But what I always found is I always kind of going back to, I love startups and small business myself. I always like working with the startups and the small businesses. So I kind of got to a period in my career where I'm saying one is I want to work with the clients I lo- enjoy working with. And two, I also want to kind of start to pull in the entrepreneur side of what I love to do along the legal side. So kind of with that, jumped out on my own, decided to start Miller IP Law where I focus a lot on startups and small businesses, and also to um, start to fold in a lot of the business stuff on top of that. So I don't know if that's a short, or short, <laughs> short, short version or the long version, but that kind of uh, it gets me to where I'm at today and a little bit of how I got here.
0: Um, first off, wow, that is quite a resume. Um, for, for me personally, how did you balance uh, your professional side and your personal side?
2: um better now than when i started so um you know i would have said early on in my career and i don't know that i'm i always say like early on like feels to me like i've, I've lived a full career and i'm still in the middle of it but earlier on maybe is a better way to put it i was i i worked too many hours i i ended up probably not spending enough time on the family. I had a great wife, great kids. She was supportive, but I ended up working a ton of hours to try and accomplish everything I do. And I still work a lot of hours, but I didn't have any sort of that balance. And so I kind of got to the point of saying, you know, cause I always had more things to do than time to do it. And I was always trying to catch up and I was always trying to build my career, make a good impression, do everything else. And I kind of, you know, I don't know what at some point kind of came to the realization that I I don't, I, I, there's always more fires to put out in the day and I can't, if I'm always focused on putting out the fires, then I'm going to lose that balance. And so really it was more of, I'm going to put out as many fires as I can while I'm working, while I'm in the office. And when I go home, I'm not going to worry about now. The building's burning down and it's a big fire. I'll deal with it. But most of them, you know, the fires will wait till tomorrow. And so for me, it was kind of finding that. Okay, at some point, I've just got to set a limit of when I'm at home, I'm doing, I'm with the family, I'm doing those things. When I'm at work, I work as much as I can to get as much done, try and get as as much accomplished and build things. But I've got to have some of that separation with the acknowledgement that there's always going to be more fires to put out than I have time to. So I'm going to do as much as I can and then wait or let the rest of them wait till the next day. So that
0: is a normal thing to expect for people starting up a business who are entrepreneurs or thinking about it that. When you're going into it, you have to expect that it's not a nine to five. It is all about what you put into it, how you make it, and have the ability to separate yourself from work to yeah, and it's your hard, life.
2: especially with the in out. As much as life is intertwined, I mean, you have your phone; that's where you get your emails, yes. get your text, get your calls. You are, you know, you can always, half the time, You're if you're working for a lot of jobs, you can pick up a laptop, you can always do it. And there's always that enticement to work on the weekends, work on, a, you know, the afternoon, work late and night. And I'm guilty of it. I'm not perfect. So I'm not trying to paint the picture, but it's always so interconnected that it's so easy to, it's hard to ever have that separation. It's easy to just let one dominate the other. And so I think you have to have, figure out those rules as to how you, or where you want to draw those lines.
0: So I was reviewing your, your website and you offer free strategy sessions. I would love to use that uh, opportunity to paint a picture for our audience, our listeners, for me to kind of get that strategy session so they can see in real time what that looks like. And that would be more of a competitive advantage for you that they're willing to reach out after seeing this in real time.
2: Absolutely. Let's do it.
0: Excellent. So what do you need from me first?
2: So, I mean, typically when you're, you're do, when you're doing any sort of a tr- strategy session, maybe this is a kind of the, the set the, the groundwork or the framework. Those are really set up for people that are having questions, whether it, it can be anywhere along the process. It can be anywhere from, hey, I have a, a business or something I want to get started, or I have an idea. And I just want to understand kind of what I'm getting into to people that have Got something started? They've actually started to build it all the way to a small business, or is going along. But a lot of times, this, this uh, start or strategy meeting was set up because people don't want to go into turning because they're worried it's going to cost them a lot of money, and they're going yes. to get an answer to where yes. you don't need this, or we're not going to be able to help you. Now all you've done is spend a whole bunch of money that you really didn't have as a startup. So the strategy meeting is really, and then we'll get to your question and kind of diving into it, is set up to be a a bit of a let's learn a little bit about your business, what you have going on. Uh, any questions you might have and then strategize a little bit as to what things you should be considering, whether it's now or six months in the future or anything, but kind of get that roadmap. So with that in mind, maybe tell me, you know, if if acting out a little bit of what a strategy meeting would be, tell me a little bit about what your business and what you have going on.
0: Okay. So I started a podcast called Your Transformation Station, which we are recording right now. And I have about 50 episodes, some of them not released, I started uh, some merchandise. I started uh, a membership program for uh, super fans to get information products that I create through my interviews that give them uh, great insight and then it's more in-depth that they can purchase along with uh, also buying my own copyright per se through created graphics as the logo and um, any any other uh, digital content that i produce along with i did a, a self publishing i did one book i released that
2: so. Mm. so now let me follow up to and that's a great uh, a great explanation what is the intent of the business? In other words, is it something where it's going to be kind of a fun side hobby, hustle, kind of in, as much of, you know, personal enjoyment or just something you're saying, "Hey, you no, know, I'm going to build this to where we have a large following, we're going to monetize it or it's going to leverage it to, you know, build up a clientele or kind of." What is the intention and what's the direction? Cuz that will flavor kind of, you know, what what you may be considering is is based on where you're kind of headed. So, give me a little bit of insight there.
0: Okay. So, it started out with the intent just to uh, carry out the, the military inside of me to help others. As a yeah. sergeant in the army, I had a, a team of subordinates that I looked after. I was their parent. I was their guardian. I was their doctor, their dietitian. I was everything. And after I left, I felt unfulfilled and I missed that feeling. So I started this podcast just to satisfy that itch to, inform people, to guide them in the right direction because there's too much damn content out there and people just want to just take advantage of them because they're willing to do anything to make their life better. And I want to just cut through all the bullshit and give them direct answers on what they need to do, why they need to do it. And I promise it's for the best and go into the details. And then from there, I started to do advertisement. I started to monetize and now it's addicting. I want to do everything. I want to establish a following. I want to create as many books as I can. One, it's satisfying for me because I got deep sociological or psychological issues that -hmm. that is a way for me to cope as well as uh, establishing a big following just just so I can impact as many people as I can.
2: So, I mean, and, and that's a, a great explanation. I think that's where a lot of, you know, podcasts and 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 kind of providing information to people. A lot of times to start out with, hey, there's a lot of bad information out there. There's a lot of things that people are, you know, sifting through a lot of information online that's going to be hard. So, you know, finding a good source is always beneficial. I mean, if I were to break it down and say, okay, you know, looking at a bit at your business, you have a few things that you're trying to do. And then we'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit about maybe what you should do. You're building mm-hmm. a brand. So, if you're building a brand, you know, and that can be the name of the podcast. You can have the kind of the complementary, where you have inform or informational products. You can have services you provide. the, you know, hey, basically, you know, hey, we provide these services. You know, you'll find that a little bit on the podcast. And if you want to do more of a one-on-one, those type of things, all that is kind of establishing a brand. If you're to look at kind of now, how do you protect a brand? It's yes. going to be with a trademark trademark or if you're to think of kind of three areas of intellectual property, patents are going to be for inventions. You create something, you invent something, whether it's software, it's a device, it's a hardware, anything that you're going to do a patent. Trademarks are going to be on the brand side. We're going to look more at, you know, name of the company, name of a product, a logo, a catchphrase, something of that nature. And then copyrights are going to be on the creative side. So if you are to think of movies, videos, books, uh, you can think of paintings, sculptures, anything that's on the creative side, that's where you're going to be um, protecting a copyright. So if I were to look now kind of, you know, acting out the the strategy, meaning or in reality, you know, mm-hmm. what you want to look at is, one is whether or not it makes sense to invest anything. And that's why I kind of asked, You know, what is the intent of your business? Because if you're looking, saying, hey, this is just going to be kind of a fun side hustle, it's going to be a hobby. I think I'd like to, you know, just kind of giving back to the community. I don't expect any monetization. I don't really want to have any income from it. Then I'd probably say, I wouldn't do anything because you're probably, it's not worthwhile to invest the brand or to protect the brand if it's really just for an interest. Now, if on the other hand, you're saying, hey, right now we're just growing, we're building, but our intent is to really get bigger. We're going to have a following. We're going to monetize it. It's going to be a brand that is worth something that we want to protect. Then you're going to look and say, okay, we want to trademark
0: it. Mm -hmm. I'm all in a hundred percent. I am committed. I tried to stay away from it. I tried to shut it down and just live a normal nine to five life. I can't do that. This is what I want. I am 100% 100% game in. And I need to know how to protect myself and protect my my content and continue to scale and not worry about anybody stealing my property. Hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think to that note, I mean, what you're going to, you, what you want to typically do is step back and say, what is the value of the business, right? What do I want to protect? Because you can say, because I could say, well, every podcast episode, you could technically copyright, Every logo you have, every, you know, cash phrase you have, you can get a trademark for, but which ones are going to be valuable to the business? In other words, hey, if, unless you have a viral episode where it just takes off and everybody listens to it, you know, millions of you or listeners type of thing, probably to protect any given episode, you're not going to necessarily want to copy it because it doesn't have that value. But if you're saying what really is going to be important is my brand, people are going to start recognizing the name of the podcast associated goods and services with it and that's what it is say that's where i'm investing in then you're going to say let's get a copyright and the copyright is basically where you're going to be able to box out for types of goods and services you know podcasting or consulting services or other business services you can box out for those types of goods and services the use of the either the word for the company or the product or, and or the logo so that's kind of what you to start out you're looking at saying that's what i that's where i would suggest is It sounds like it would be your greatest value is more in the brand than it is on any given episode, because it's going to be the accumulation of those episodes to build a brand as opposed to one specific episode. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. And I wanted to touch on something with the, the copyrightable subject matter. When we produce content and we put it out, is it automatically copyrighted or do I need to come see you to get it copyrighted?
2: Kind of both and I'll, let me break that down so inherently when you create or create anything that's a creative work and that can be whether it's a book podcast video TV show whatever you have inherent you inherently have a copyright to that material you've created now the reason that most it so you don't have to do anything to get that copyright now the reason you're going to go register it is typically for twofold one is you're going to want to more easily establish the date by which you created the or you know created whatever the creative work is so Let's say you wrote a book and but you never really keep track of when you wrote the book and it takes you two years to publish, and then somebody else comes along and copies the book. Well, there's going to be a you know, there's if you ever have to go into enforcement, you're going to have to show, hey, I created this, this is when I created it. And a copyright's an easy way to define at least by this date, I am the creator of this work. The second reason is if you ever go and enforce a copyright to get much damages, in other words, to get return on because they copied it and they ripped it off, you typically are going to want to register the copyright. So if you were to start out and you're making a lot of content, you're doing a lot of things, content creation, creating videos, creating different things, you probably wouldn't want to register it at that point. But when you get to the point of saying, here's the valuable content that if somebody were to knock off, if they were to copy, this would hurt my business. Then you're going to say, okay, then I want to register that copyright so I can show I've created it. I'm the creator. This is why I created it. And I can also pursue damages if somebody were to knock off. Does that make sense or answer your question?
0: It does. And, it brings up a couple more questions as far as uh, with the the cheaper or poor man's way of copywriting. I'm familiar with, I'm not sure if a lot of people are, but does this still apply if I were to write out my intent with my podcast or the book and I mail it to myself or I email it, is that considered copyrighted?
2: <laughs> it's better than nothing. I'll, 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 get that's if you if that's all you're gonna do, then sure that's a that's better than nothing, but not by much. And so you're not going to I mean to email it or mail it to yourself, and there are variations, and you get that on the patent side too. I mean, there's a lot of myths. That, hey, if you just write down your name or you write down your invention, you mail it to yourself, you leave it in an envelope that's self-addressed, and you never open it, then you can take it into court and you can wave it in the air, and they're gonna say, See, I created this. That is not how it works in reality. So if all you, if, if you have a very limited budget, sure, that wouldn't be a bad way to at least get going. If you have anything that's of real value, I would get an actual trademark or sorry, I'd get an actual copyright for work to protect it. In other words, if you have a YouTube video that is monetizing, you're making thousands of dollars off it or thousands or hundreds, tens of thousands or, you know, whatever it is off of the video, go get a copyright on it because it's valuable enough to, to do it right. Now, if you're saying, hey, if I'm, You know, I don't know what's valuable. I think I've got some content that might be. Then, yeah, go do the, you know, the DIY, kind of mail it to yourself. Better than nothing. If it starts to catch on or if it starts to have any real um, traction, then do the real job. So better than nothing, but only by slight, by their slightly.
0: Okay. Do I need a lawyer or anybody that specializes in copyright slash trademark slash? um, What's the other one. Uh, Patents. Patents, thank you. Do I need a specialist in that? Or do they need to be officially registered with the United States Patent and Trademark Organization?
2: So it depends on which one. So patents, you have to, in order to be a patent attorney, you have to take a separate bar with the patent. So you have to in addition to a state bar so everybody goes to law school you have to take a state bar wherever you're going to be practicing you that's what you do to go into your patents there's first of all there's a requirement that you have to have a technical undergraduate that qualifies you to sit for the bar so that means engineering it can be physics it can be some math and some of the other ones but it has to be a hard science and so and then you have to go take a bar exam just specifically for patents and so generally you can, you can do it yourself as a, in a, an individual inventor. You If you want to do it yourself, you can file it yourself. I wouldn't recommend it most of the time. You do more harm than good because you don't write, you don't get the coverage to give you a false sense of security. You think you have something in place, you really don't. And then you get the ball clear ticking. In other words, with patents, you have once you put down the public, you have a year from which you can file a patent on it. If you don't file within that year, it becomes public domain. So a lot of times the problem is is people go think I can do this myself. I'll figure it out or watch a YouTube video and then they go do it. They think they have something in place covering them. They go tell the world. They come back you know a few years later or a year later and say okay now I want to do something. You're already too late and you've done. So I would highly recommend patents are going to be difficult if you don't go get an attorney. So if you if you again if you don't have any funds and you need to get something in place do it yourself file it if you but if it's going to be anything that's of real consequential value attorney is going to add a lot of value and make it or certainly give you a much better return trademarks are, are kind of that same thing you can't your trademarks you don't have to be an attorney to file a trademark I Highly recommend it because they have a lot more experience but you can have others file a trademarks or isn't that same requirement like the patent bar The problem with trademark is if you don't know what you're doing, oftentimes you're not going to get the, again, the coverage you want. So trademarks work. You have to indicate the types of goods and services you're going to do. So think of Nike. They have trademarks for athletic wear, sports gear and apparel. They don't have one for automobiles because they don't do anything in automobiles. Mm -hmm. Well, if you were to file a trademark and you say, okay, I'm going to go get, you know, the trademark for my new company. That just came up X, Y, Z, whatever company. And I just go, you know, you, file it the wrong way, you don't get the right uh, classes, you don't get the right categories, and you're going to be not getting any coverage and it's not really gonna provide any value. So you can do that. Copyrights are one where they're not as difficult, they're more straightforward, but the biggest issue or barrier is that the system within which you file them is not very well done. It's was made in the 1990s and they haven't updated the system since. And so it's more of, it's kind of like if you've ever gone out and filled out like, you know, you fill out a phone or a thing for a mortgage or you do a contract and you do an employment agreement and he kind of reads you and he says, I think I filled it out right. I filled it out right, but I'm really <laughs> not sure. You kind of get that same feeling. And, you know, the way I always look at it is, I'd almost kind of do it as you have one option is you just do it yourself. You have no idea what you're doing, but you just kind of wing it in prayer. You have the second option is you kind of do more of the DIY option where you have a course or you have a video that you follow. And then you have the the last one, which is attorney. And I would almost relate that to kind of real estate. If I were to think of, okay, you can if you need to have a roof over your head, you have to have some sort of shelter to survive. If you do it yourself, it's kind of like going and setting up a tent. If you have no experience, you can set up a tent. It is technically a roof over your head. Now, you don't have a lot of amenities, but you do have a roof over your head. You go do kind of more of the DIY option, whether it's a, you know, legal Zoom or YouTube video or something. It's kind of like, you know, if you're to think of, if I watch a YouTube video and it tells me how to build a house, I can build a house and you will have a shelter over your head. Now, it may not be a very glamorous house or nice house, but it's probably better than a tent. And so that's kind of when you get to the DIY options. And then attorney is more of you to go and, you know, hire a builder, has experience, knows how to build a home, make it nice, get the heating and air conditioning, make sure the roof doesn't leak and all those. That's kind of the gradients of the same thing as when you, whether or not you get an attorney. All you have the budget for is to set up the tent yourself. It's better than not having any shelter over your head. If you have a little bit more budget and you can build the kind of the DIY house. Better than mm-hmm. having a tent, And if you want to actually have something of value and a real return, then you, that's where you go or hire an attorney.
0: So, with the, uh, you mentioned legal Zoom. I've had a friend that has experienced uh, a, a ripoff in that situation. What is your thought towards uh, legal Zoom?
2: I think legal Zoom, first of all, I know a lot of attorneys, most attorneys hate legal Zoom. <laughs> there are some reasons for it. I think that there's kind of, Two two trains of thought and they're a bit conflicting, but I'll give you. On the one hand, I think that Legal Zoom fills a gap in the marketplace for people that need some, don't have a lot of funds, a lot of money. They need some sort of assistance to get something in place, kind of like building your own house. I need a roof over my head. I am a startup. I'm a small business. I don't have any funds. I gotta get, I'd like to get something in place. And so at least have some form of protection. That's kind of where Legal Zoom comes in. So there is a marketplace for that. The problem is, is that people don't realize that there is a difference between legal doom versus an attorney that, you know, they're kind of saying, well, I, I, it's probably about the same, and I, I'm a smart guy. And that's usually, especially with startups and small businesses, everybody thinks they're the smartest person in the room. Otherwise, you would have never started your own business. You're like, well, I can go do legal do, I can figure it out, and you're negating. You know, would you? It's the same thing. We well, can technically go file your own taxes. You can set up your own business. You can start or go be a doctor if you learn. You know, you can go try and be a doctor and operate on yourself. See how all those turns out. But that's kind of where legal zoom where people think they've gotten used to doing DIY on so many other things that they think all oh, just do it legal zoom. So. I think there's a place for it, but I think that people need to realize the limitations of you're getting what you're paying for and you need to balance that with what is the motivations. If really you just want to have stamp patent pending on something, you know, on your product to scare off the you know, other people that are, you know, knockoffs, that are going to be a small business. That's fine. If you're wanting to go get investor dollars and an angel investor, venture capital, you're wanting to grow this business to something that has real value into it legal zoom isn't going to provide that level of protection. So you kind of got to look and see what are my motivations? What are my goals? What why do I need protection? Why am I going after this? And then balance that with the uh, what, you know, which which option you're going to pursue. Okay.
0: With the process of filing for a patent, trademark, or copyright, what is that process like and once I've completed it, how long does it last?
2: So, 3 or the each of those three things are different. So, patents, trademarks, copyrights. So, I'll start with the easiest one, which is copyright. Copyrights. You you gather the information of what the material you're trying to copyright, whether it's the material for the book or you get the audio recording or the video, or whatever. Then you're going to either do it yourself or preferably have an attorney do it. You're going to basically fill some paperwork. You're going to get it filed. It you'll pay a fee, of, you know, a couple hundred dollar fee it'll get registered with the library of Congress. They'll put it in the basically becomes a digital part of the library of Congress. And is, and then the, that's about it. Most of the time, unless you mess something up with the filing or you do something or do something incorrect, then, and then you have, you'll it'll get processed. usually takes about two or three months and then you'll have a registered payment. Last uh, 90 years plus, or, or 90 years plus the life of the author. So, um, as far as you know if you're to think of if you as long as you live plus you know your gen or uh, the generation that comes after you probably your kids can also benefit off of it so usually your life plus you know your kids life it's kind of the length of a trade of a copyright okay trademarks are going to be one so trademarks first of all kind of answering the last question first, they last as long as you keep using them so Pepsi, Coke, all those that have been around for Disney have been around for a long period of time. As long as they continue to do the trademarks and pay some annual or some uh, recurring maintenance fees every few years, trademarks stay active. They don't expire. You can can keep using them. As far as preparing and filing it, the question is what you have to do is you will either, again, yourself or an attorney, uh, will file or prepare the information needed for the trademark application. Um, You get it all pulled together and you would file it. Now you can file it either as an intent to use or as a use in commerce. Intent to use basically means I haven't started using this yet, but I intend to use it in this near term future. I'd like to or get the rights to it so somebody doesn't come along as I'm preparing to launch my business. And so you can actually kind of pull that ahead and give that protection before you've actually started using it. Or you can say, hey, I'm already using it. Now I'd like to protect it. Once you file it, it'll get put in a queue for examination. Trade, or Examiner, the trademark office will have a queue usually takes about six months after the time you file it before it gets to the top of the queue. They're gonna look at that and they're gonna say, okay, is this trademarkable? Basic, or there are a few standards, the main standard they're gonna look at is whether it's confusingly similar with what's already out there. In other words, they're gonna say, if we were to allow this trademark, would there be, trademarks are already out there that if consumers were to see that trademark and your trademark, they would be confused as to who is offering those goods and services, who is the source of those goods and services. If you are going to be confusingly similar with somebody that's already out there, you're going to get a rejection. If you're not, then you'll get an allowance. You can go back and forth with them, argue and, and try and convince them as to why you should be different, why you're not confusingly similar, and that's part of the process. So you can either they'll do that examination, you'll correspond back with them, and then you'll either get a registered trademark or it'll, it'll, they'll say nope, this is not allowable, and you'll eventually give up. Trade or, or patents are the last ones. Patents are going to be the lengthiest process and they're going to have the shortest window so patents are from the time you file it you get 20 years so you file it today you get 20 years from today that you can uh, have that exclusivity as far as the process you know again whether it's attorney yourself you're going to pull all the information to of your regarding your patent together you're going to put it in the format that's wanted so you're going to get some drawings you get some written or written description of it and you're going to outline what are the features of your invention you're going to submit it it takes about 12 to 18 months from the time you submit it to get into a queue for examination. Once a examiner starts to examine it, you're going they're going to look at it basically for two standards, which are called novelty and obviousness. Novelty basically means has anybody else previously invented it? Somebody else has already invented it. You can't get a, a patent on something that's already invented Obviousness is okay, well, not one person's invented it, but if you were to take two or more things already out in the marketplace, you're really just putting those together. You're not adding anything. You're just kind of combining them together. And they're gonna say, well, if it's an obvious combination, what's already out there, again, it's not patentable. So you'll go back and forth. Usually anticipate about another three to six months of back and forth to get them to convince them of patent or what's unique about your invention, what's different. And then they'll either, at some point, be convinced and allow it as a patent or as a patent, or you eventually you'll abandon it and say it's not worth arguing anymore. So it usually takes about eighteen to twenty-four months to get through that process, and you have a total of twenty years. So that was a probably a longer answer than you're anticipating, but he, that's kind of the outline of if you yes. look at the very brief overview of the process and how long each one lasts. That's what you'd be looking at.
0: Wow, that's a, a lot of information, and I'll be sure to input this in the show notes so everybody doesn't. If they miss something, they can retort to that. Um, Where do I want to take this? So back to me, I have one more question with my strategy session and we can close it out to a few other questions and then I'll be the end of the episode. But with mine is it's, are you familiar with the the copyright aspects of hyperlinking and framing? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay, so linking the copyrighted material, how how do the courts address two different like web technologies with felicitating somebody's copyrighted content to illustrate the source? Cause I feel like there there, there could be some uh, some negative backplay with uh, the the powder, or what do they call it? The, the individual,
1: yeah.
2: yes. Yeah, I mean that that that's a it's, a it's a simple question. It's not a simple answer because there's a lot of intricacies to it. Yes. Short answer is one. Dispelling one myth: if you go and grab somebody's, whether it's a picture or a blog post or anything else, and all you do is at the end you attribute this is by whoever, that doesn't remove any air copyright infringement. Nice to put it down there. Maybe they'll be less likely to come after you. But just because you give attribution, most of the time it doesn't or it doesn't give you any more legal standings to use it. Now, you mentioned hyperlinks. Hyperlinks are are just as a a, a kind of explanation to the audience is, you know, if you're to see those links that are generally underlined, they're in blue, you can click on them and it takes you somewhere else. That's a hyperlink. Hyperlinks are generally okay because you're not taking any of the copyrighted material yourself and using it. You're just linking to somebody else's information and assuming you're linked to the original source. You're just simply saying, "Hey, you want you know find out more about intellectual property? Here's a link. Click on here, and you can go to Miller IP Law blog, whatever it is." And that would be kind of that that nature. And so, hyperlinks are generally fine. Now, what you what a lot of times you'll see, which gets more to a gray area, is somebody will get a part of a you know they'll get the first paragraph or two of a of an article. They'll start to write it, and they'll say For the full information, go to this. Well, technically, you've just broken copyrights because you've copied their informate, their copyrighted material that they own, and they have rights over to it. And you put it on your website. A lot of times, they may not come after you because they're saying, "Hey, thanks for the link," and they'll, they'll you know, they'll come get more traction on their website. But technically, you're or you're with or you're violating copyrights if you grab that information. So the best thing is, if you're going to use somebody else's written material. You're better just to get permission from them give, or reach out to them say, hey, I'd like to provide a link on your, you know, to, to your information. I'd like to give a little bit of introduction or something of that nature and uh, let them get their permission before you use that. So hyperlinks are OK. Grabbing the actual material, putting it on your website. Not OK. The last one that you hit on is. If you're to now get video, and a lot of times and everybody's guilty of it, you know, there's a lot of great things on YouTube. You want to go and you want to embed it in your website. You want to be able to share it. It's a great clip. It highlights just what you want. If you are embedding a link, so it's like an iframe or you do an embedding that links to the actual original content, you're within your rights. This is general information. So, just as a disclaimer for your audience, if I say this, you should still go talk with an attorney to get a specific answer on yours. There's my legal <laughs> disclaimer, just so that <laughs> nobody takes this as gospel, goes out and does it, and then thinks that I gave them your specific legal advice to them. But generally, if you were to get that, that embed code or that iframe, put it on your site. What it is doing, it is still linking to that original material. It's not that you are downloading it, taking it as your own original material and putting it on your site. You're linking to it. So it pulls that in. So a lot of times you think YouTube. You see somebody, you know, has a YouTube link, and then afterwards it shows here are related videos, or it has a commercial up, or at the end. That's because it is actually getting that content from YouTube, not from your site. So that one's generally okay. And the interesting thing is, is, there's actually a court case on it, and with a lot of copyrights, as or odd as it sounds, most a lot of copyright law has been pushed forward by the pornography. Because there's a lot of fighting within the pornography industry as to who owns all this copyrighted material that they're very, are very dominating over. And so, the, basically, what they, with that court case, what they found is not only if you embed or you have an iframe or something of that nature, whether or not that material is legal, you don't have a legal liability. So, if you go and link to an illegal video on YouTube that is an uploaded that is copyright infringing, you embed that in your website. You generally, general advice, don't have any liability because you're just linking to that material and you're not doing it. Opposite is if you download that video, if you go in, you actually download the video and then you re-upload it to your site, you lock, then you are infringing copyright. Mm-hmm. So you're not I any mean, don't put any of the original material. You can link to it, you can embed to embed it, you can do an iframe. But if you download the material or you get the original written material and you put it up on your website, indicating, representing that it's your own, you're going to get into trouble.
0: So what about with people who overdo the hyperlinks? Uh, could, you get, uh, could you get, it's almost like directing the, the, your audience or whoever's viewing your blog towards a direction that they shouldn't be, directing, be directed hmm. to.
2: So you're saying I were to go do a hyperlink and I misdirect them or try and or misrepresent where the hyperlink is going. Is that the question?
0: Yes. Cause I, I read something into it because I with my book that I've written, I included dozens and dozens of links to sources. And mm-hmm. that could be perceived as almost like directing the consumer to a dangerous place if they're not familiar with it.
2: It's a good question. It's it's not one that I have a, that I've I've looked at before. I mean, if you're to look at generally if you're just directing someone to a hyperlink, you know, and saying go to this place, where would be interesting. And I don't know, I'm not aware of any court cases. Would let's say you were to direct to somewhere where they steal your personal information or they hide, you know, they put a virus on your computer that. Do you have any legal liability to where you're just directing them to a site that is not good, that's giving them a virus or stealing their information or, you know, hacking them or anything of like that? I don't know. I don't know that it's been decided by the course. My guess is it is, is probably depends a little bit on intent. If you knew at the time that you were directing them to somewhere that is malicious or is, is harmful to them and you had that in knowledge and then you did it anyway, you probably had some liability. If on the other hand, you were saying, no, I, When I looked at it, put it in my book, it was a legitimate site. It looked like it was Mm. a reasonable material. My guess is, and again, I don't know. I haven't looked at it from the legal standings if there's been a case on it, but probably you're going to be in a better ground to saying it wasn't with any malicious intent. It was trying to just provide a link to it. So that's probably where you're going to look at. The other one that would be interesting that you didn't raise would be is if you're linking to somewhere, but you are... Derogatory to that site. In other words, you're saying, "Here's the worst, you know, whatever. Here, they sell the worst products, and go check them out and see how terrible." <laughs> they are. If you're, if you get to a place where you're being derogatory and you're being, you know, or you're or misrepresenting them or you're negatively representing them, you do get into some waters that or murky waters to where you may then start to cross that line from just if all you're doing is linking to content you're saying hey go check out here are my sources here's where i pulled some of my information from if you want to learn more generally unfairly fair, safe ground but if you're either one you knew you're directing them to somewhere that's malicious or two you're being derogatory to them then you're gonna you're gonna want to make sure you talk to an attorney before you do that
0: okay yeah that that was a gray area that really had me going. And after tons and tons of research, I found out that it was safe to do at the moment. So everything is good with that. But uh, that's pretty much the end with my uh, strategy session. So for individuals that are interested, curious, and would like to set up a strategy session, they can get in contact with you. I just have a few more closing questions and then the floor will be yours.
2: Yeah, and just, just to follow up really quick, if they do want to do a strategy session, they can just go to strategymeeting.com. It links right to my calendar and grab some time. So the easiest way to grab a strategy meeting is go to strategymeeting.com.
0: And I'll be sure to link that into the show notes. Uh, weird. Okay. What is the number one action to avoid taking when beginning a business? Number one action to
2: avoid... I'll give you a couple. One is kind of an action you should do. And then one is one that you should avoid. First thing I would do, if you're founding a business, go form an LLC or, or go do a business formation, typically an LLC. Reason you do that is because it protects your personal assets. So then you're not putting, it puts a barrier. So the people, if they, if your business gets sued, there's product liability, you infringe someone's patent or trademark or anything else, or if someone else is mad and they say you broke your contract, they can come after the business in as a business, but they can't come after your life savings or your house or your cars or anything else. So, the thing that people often do that is off or opposite to that is, oh, I'm just starting out as a side business or as a kind of a side hustle or a hobby. It gets bigger, it, it expands, but then they always kind of forget to actually go and do that. So, that was one that you should do. One that you should avoid is. If you're going to build a business that's going to have any sort of, if you're intending it to be more than just a mom and pop shop, more than just serving the local community, nothing wrong with those. But if your intent is to have a bigger, a bigger presence, be online sell, or sell, you know, across the U.S. or international, or anything else, have a plan in or get a plan in place for what you're going to, first of all, how you're going to grow the business, where your market is, and then also how you're going to protect it. Because the worst thing is, is people tend to avoid, delaying that too long and it creates more issues. And so the biggest thing is to get that plan in place and to avoid just simply delaying or waiting so long that it creates issues. Because delaying and waiting, while it's easy to do because you always have more things to do than time to do them, it can create a lot of issues.
0: With uh, the LLC, uh, through my research, I came across like uh, there's like almost like a specific formula that you should follow. And it kind of looks like one LLC, and then inside that LLC, you're looking at four to six. And then you will, within specific LLCs will be your uh, possessions. Another one would be your uh, self-directed account. And the other one will be uh, properties, something of that nature.
2: You can do that. It kind of depends on what you're, so there's a couple of ways you could set it up. What you're almost describing is you could have a holding company. It's kind of a parent company on top that has ownership into each of these individuals. Yes. the is a good way to manage things and to leave them individually? The only issue that can arise is if you, if there's cause for them to come after the parent company, then they can dive into each of those individual subsidiaries. So it can be a good one. You just need to be careful in how you set it up and how you structure it such that you keep each of those individual LLCs separate. So they only they kind of are self contained within themselves as opposed to opening it up that they can come after all of the LLCs. As far as kind of your individual you know earnings, if you have real estate or you have savings or anything else, typically you'll put that more in a trust. And so it's not necessarily an LLC, but it's more of a trust that has a is an entity that has ownership or has direction to all of your assets, and that can be a trust so that if you die, your wife has ownership to it. It can be so you can set it up that. Each of your kids get so much of your money, you can actually stipulate how they can use the money. And so a lot of times for personal assets, it's going to be more of a trust than necessarily an LLC if it's for the personal side. If it's for real estate and you're doing investing or you're flipping houses or that, then, yeah, you could you would separate it, set it up probably as a separate LLC. So in general, yes, I would set it up as each business could have its own LLC so that it kind of separates out or, or confines the liability to each of those companies for what they're doing. You just have to know what you're doing when you set it up that way.
0: That's very, very interesting. Uh, I, I, we got to keep it moving. Uh, what's some good advice to follow and some bad advice to avoid when establishing a business from the ground up?
2: Good advice to follow is get a plan in place. Now, plans are going to change. I've never, hardly ever met a business that the plan that they originally came up with is how it turned out in three or four or five years. So plans are always going to change. But you're going to, it's better to take the time up front to at least convince yourself that this is a good business. And because the reason is, is if anybody's like me, I have five ideas before I get into the office, I'll have another 10 ideas throughout the day, and then I'll probably have another five when I get home. And 90% of those ideas are bad ideas, but you're always excited about them. You always think that they're great ideas at the time. Mm-hmm. And so if you slow it down, actually take the time. First of all, what I do, I write it on my ideas I think are good ideas on a sticky note. I stick them on my desk, let, leave it there for a week. If I am still excited about that idea in a week as I am today, then it at least indicates that it has the potential for a better idea. Most of the time I get back then a week and think that's a stupid idea. And I throw it, <laughs> <the Trump laughs> up, throw it away and move on. But get take that, I slow it down. Take a few days, see if it's still like if you're still as excited as you are in a few days you are now, and then get a plan in place that so you can at least convince yourself, hey, there's a market here. This is how I'd reach the market, this is the pricing. Here's my competitive advantage, and do that homework up front so that you know you can convince yourself that it's worthwhile. So that would be kind of what I would do is get that plan in place, be willing to pivot and adjust and understand that it's not going to be a hard plan or hard set and stone plan, but get it in place. As far as things to avoid, I think that the Biggest drawback that a lot of, and I'm as guilty as anybody, but a drawback with a lot of entrepreneurs, startups, small businesses is you think you know everything going into things. You think you have to be an expert, you know everything, you can do everything, and you have to get it all done because you don't, anybody else won't get it done right. And while you can be good at a lot of things, you're not going to be an expert on everything. And even if you were an expert on everything, you don't have time to do everything yourself. And so identify the areas that you can be good at things and avoid just trying to take everything on directly or do it yourself because you should surround yourself with here are the areas I can impose the most expertise, I can drive the most value into the business, And then everybody else that I then I'm going to have other people that are experts in those other areas do those jobs for it. So avoid being or trying to be the expert on everything. Do everything yourself, because one year they're going to get burned out 2 you're probably not the expert on everything. You're going to mess at least some of the areas up. And three, you're going to not be able to grow the business or let it expand because you're not going to have that enough of that people behind you and to build that you're going to ha- never have enough hours in the day. So those would be kind of the, getting a strategy in place would be what I would do. Avoiding trying to do it all yourself would be the the thing I would avoid. That is a fantastic flow
0: of information right there. Uh, I can link episode uh, 19 from season one with working on the business rather in the business. People get stuck in that mindset where they can do it themselves, then realizing that they're only going to get so far that they need to scale back and hire the professionals. Absolutely. Uh, And just one last question. If I were to ask you this following question, how do you create a transformation in others? If there's no transformation in yourself, what comes to mind?
2: I don't think you can. I mean, if you're not, I think you first have to, be the individual, be the leader, be the entrepreneur that you need to be before you're going to get people that are willing to follow you and and to go behind. So I think that first you have to now, I think you have to identify what type of leader, what type of business and what you want to focus on first before you're able to transform others. So I don't think that you can. But once you identify here's the core principles I want. And for me, it was when I did the, the, my own business, it was, I want to be in charge. I want to be able to direct the, or have the ability to direct where the business is going. I want to focus on startups and small businesses. I want to do it differently than how the other legal field or field is. I want to build a team around me that is going. And if you can identify those and then put yourself or transform yourself so that you can be that type of individual that can do those things, then you're going to have the, be able to transform others and build it around because they're going to see the, vision and the core and the direction and the, those core principles that you set out. And then they're much willing to follow because if you never get that in place yourself, they're not going to be able to transform because they're not even going to know what they're following.
0: (laughs) That, that spot on. I love it. Now, Devin, do you have anything else that you would like to add?
2: We hit on it, get a strategy (laughs) in place, figure it out before you charge ahead, figure out what, or what, uh, why, why you're getting in the business, why you're doing it. And if it's just for money, that's not a good reason because there's a lot of better ways. If you if all you're going to do is a startup, small business, be an entrepreneur, and it's for the money, you're in the wrong business. It's not the place you're going to do. You can you could do it a lot of better ways than doing that. So find out why you want to do it and then get get a game plan in place. If people want to reach out to me and they want to chat more, we already mentioned, they can get, grab a strategy meeting. Just go to strategymeeting.com. And that's all I got.
0: Thank you, Devin. I really appreciate you coming on the show today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for
1: having me on. All right, you take
0: care. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Subscribe if you have not already done so, but leave us a review. Let us know how we can continue to improve your transformation station. I appreciate every one of you for tuning in, and I look forward to the next episode on your transformation station
1: you've been listening to your transformation station rediscovering your true identity and purpose on this planet we hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information in the meantime connect with us on facebook and instagram at yts the podcast we'll be back soon until then this is your transformation station signing off